0: people will come to you for different reasons. And if you don't understand what that reason is, I mean, the affirmation of what they're doing, am I doing everything right? I have some long standing issue out there that I'm trying to address. I've got too many options. i got Roth, you know, traditional IRAs. I got health savings accounts. I got too many things to sift through. But if you don't address what their primary concern is up front, you know, they're not going to listen to anything else you say. So you have to be a really good listener and you can't do that until you quit talking in order to be the listener. And that's the same thing in any relationship.
1: For a decade, Cahaba Wealth Management has been driven by a belief that our fiduciary responsibility is to have conversations with you, our current and future clients, to discover what really matters to you. Wealth is not created overnight. Instead, it is earned by having a solid blueprint that allows you to plan and build for the future. Our goal with this podcast is to share our best practices and strategies about creating a secure and joyous future, while also addressing ideas in the marketplace that do not work as well. Join us on this journey as we discuss the ups and downs of the investment world to educate you and help you make the best possible decisions for your financial well-being. Let's go now to the There Is a Better Way podcast. Hello,
2: listeners. This is MJ Durkin, the host of the There Is a Better Way podcast brought to you by Cahaba Wealth Management. Uh, we are really glad that you are here. I'm very proud to be uh, a part of the uh, the team bringing you this uh, great podcast, educational information about everything to do with uh, building wealth, creating wealth, holding on to wealth, uh, not uh, not getting taxed uh, like crazy on your wealth, uh, and uh, all other kinds of great information uh, in this "There Is a Better Way" podcast. Uh, I'm gonna introduce to you uh, one of the uh, uh, partners, uh, vice presidents and partners uh, of Kahaba Wealth Management. His name is Henry Weidman. Uh, Henry Weidman, how are you today? Hello, MJ. I am well. How are you, sir? I am living it up, man. I am, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's nothing better than uh, getting to uh, to interview uh, the folks at Kahaba Wealth Management. And uh, I uh, I have to say personally, I learn a lot, so uh, I, I really enjoy these talks. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions, Henry. I'm gonna delve in deep and try to really get into the uh, the recesses of your your wealth management mind. How does that sound? I am ready to go. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Nice. So uh, for our listeners today, we're going to be talking about the uh, the qualities or the mindset that a um, uh, that a financial planner, that a, a uh, an advisor, a financial advisor should have, uh, in in our opinion, on the fee only side of the business. Now, let's just make a distinction here. If you're new to the podcast, you may not know this, uh, but uh, there are two sides to the business. Um, Henry, uh, talk to us about the commission oriented side for a second, and the uh, and the suitability standard. Just give us like a thirty second definition of that side.
0: Yes, I think um, in this industry uh, that we find ourselves in, uh, there are two main ways, just like you said, to, to not only get into it, but to build a career. Uh, and it's really based on how you charge the client, how you compensate it for uh, the service and the work that you do. Uh, the commission side is what it sounds like. I mean, for the most part, people, uh, uh, advisors are using products out there to somehow, you know, improve people's lives. Uh, and those products and companies pay a commission back to that advisor to compensate them for their services. Uh, and then the other way is the way that we do things, which is uh, on a fee ongoing basis. You know, from we believe that the fee uh, way promotes objectivity, and it really puts the relationship uh, in a better place in terms of trust. The client understands how you're compensated. Most clients have no problem with you getting paid, but they just want to know that uh, the way that you get paid also benefits them. Got it. Perfect.
2: And if we look at uh, the the fee-only side of the business, uh, typically uh, the fee uh, is a uh, it, it's it's a uh the, the, it's a percentage of an aggregate uh that um tends to be much less uh, overall than this the other side let's say that if i'm looking at a split screen the left side uh of the screen the the commission oriented uh fee only tends to be um uh, a, a less expensive way for people to manage their portfolios would you agree
0: I would agree with that. I think um, over time, you know, they're going to pay uh, a fair amount of fees. Um, but you know, the it, it's done the old-fashioned way. The advisor has to earn it. You know, you the, the client can leave the advisor at any time uh, within a fee arrangement. And and a lot of times, the work that we do, um, there's work all throughout the relationship. But a lot of the work uh, is done up front. And you know, So an advisor on our side may find himself from a revenue standpoint, a little bit in the hole uh, for the first year or two, uh, just trying to get that relationship going because the fee over time is how the advisor is going to be profitable on, on our side. And you have to keep the client a long time in order to do that. And uh, and obviously you would never set up a relationship with them unable to sever that relationship should they not be happy or put a lot to getting the services that they deserve. And so on our side, it takes a lot of patience and perseverance to uh, To build that relationships and confidence, knowing that you can keep them for a long time, in order, in order uh, for, for for us to be profitable. So,
2: got it. Okay, so I think I think that really establishes the the fee only side. Uh, and uh, let's um, let's get into uh, what your uh, uh, what you would determine or you would say are the qualities. Or what the mindset, or what a even even not not only mentally, but even even in a person's heart and in their soul, kind of how they have to think and feel and act in order to be on the fee only side of the business. Is that a fair fair place to start?
0: It, it is MJ, and I'll start by saying that in no way, shape, or fashion. Uh, am, am I trying to say that people on the commission side don't have a good value system or they're not good people. Uh because I know plenty of them and they are. And uh, they're hardworking people trying to make a living for their family. Um I just think that the way we do business uh benefits clients more. And and I and I have a you know a lot of uh confidence in having done it up to this point and, and built my career. Um but when you're first starting out, you know it's very difficult uh, to see the see the forest through the trees, so to speak. Got it. You know because you know this this industry as a whole originated on the commission side, and so you know the the, the people that are hiring young advisors and training them uh, still have, in many ways, that old mentality, and therefore the new people will adopt that mentality. And and once they realize that uh, that they don't know exactly. The fruits of their labor, so to speak. Uh, you know, cause on the fee side, we, we have to, like I said, be able to, to, to just be patient, work with our clients over time and not knowing really what kind of revenue you're actually going to earn off of that particular relationship. And, and, you know, some people can't handle that, that part. And so they automatically want to go over to the commission side, which more definitive. If I sell that policy, if I sell that annuity, this is how much money I make. Okay. And uh, so so that 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 is a big distinction up front. And that's why so many people have a hard time pushing through to become successful on our side of the business. Um, the quality number one out of, a I think, a certain value system that we have to have is you really truly want to help people. It's in your DNA. It's important to you uh, that people interact with you on a professional level, have a good experience, and they come out feeling that they got something uh, for their money or they got some value out of what you told them. Uh, And that's very important to all of us on this side. Uh, Not that we don't want to make money, not that we don't want to build a career, not that we don't want to be successful, um, but truly wanting to help people is, is a little notch ahead of your own personal well-being you know? And and so when we're hiring people, I automatically immediately look for something like that in those people that I'm talking to. And I want to see some example within our conversations that makes me think that they want to help people and they're just a little bit of a people pleaser. You know, that's important to them that the person they're in front of or interacting with is happy and has a good experiencing. Being around them, experience being around them, and uh, so truly wanting to help people is a big deal. Um, I'll give you a, an example of a, a pro bono client uh, that I took on not too long ago uh, that I felt like was really done wrong, and and it really upset me. Uh, and And I was actually thinking that this type of, of advice and and strategy, you know, was not even around anymore. Uh, I thought it, you know, pretty much it had died off, and people just wouldn't do this or interact with advisors that would do it. Um, a client of mine called me up and said he had a friend of his uh, that was very confused about what their advisor had asked him to do. I said, well, sure, I'll be more than happy to talk to them. And so I reached out to them and within 10 minutes, it was very obvious that what they had been put into in terms of a strategy and a product by really what was, uh, you know, it, to the, at the forefront, the advisor they were working uh, with had no resemblance of being a life insurance agent or having anything to do with selling products. I mean, they had their CFP, which is Certified Financial Planner designation, which is prevalent on this side of the industry. It's important for us to have. Um, they called themselves, you know, had a really good name about like Strategic Financial Planning Partners or whatever. So on the face of it, it looked as those people would would would. Would be good to work with would at least give them some sound advice and so what had happened this was a city uh, employee uh, who had worked with the city life for 30 years he had a city pension defined benefit plan and he had the option at retirement uh to elect the single life annuity which would be all the pension that he's entitled to with no survivorship benefit or he could elect some type of survivorship benefit for reduced retirement pension and so this planner recommended that he it lets no survivorship option and naturally buy life insurance to make up the difference. And and that by itself, MJ, is not, there's nothing wrong with it. That's what we call a pension maximization strategy. Uh, it's very difficult for it to work because you need so much life insurance to make it up based on some mortality age. Um, but, but in this situation, uh, what was done, the life insurance was was put into place. And clearly he had no cash flow to pay for it because the premiums were over $20,000 a year. And this guy had only to his name, $400,000 and one we call 403B, which is a 401K for uh, for nonprofit organizations. And so in order to pay for this life insurance policy, that planner also told him to roll his 401K over into an annuity in exchange uh, with a 10 pay distribution option and it ended up being like, I can't remember the number. numbers, like $30,000 a year or whatever, uh, and using that distribution to pay for the life insurance policy. And so essentially, removing his only retirement asset, turning it over to this annuity and, exchange, and turning it into a distribution, put it into a distribution phase to pay the life insurance policy. So taking all their assets and putting it into a death benefit for the spouse. So he's getting commissions on both the life insurance policy and the, and the annuity. That's criminal. That's criminal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's called double dipping. Uh and that's also not called the fiduciary standard of doing what's uh what's right
0: for your client, right? That that's not even human decency in my opinion. <laughs> Forget the fiduciary standard. Uh but but, but my point in all that is to say that I still have not received any revenue for that client and I may not. But that's okay because now i'm an ambassador i feel like for this this industry to make people see that there is a better way
2: there is a better way and and explain really quickly just uh, just so our audience gets some education explain the survivorship benefit and what what the why you by getting a survivorship benefit that you reduce the amount of the of the payments in order to give that benefit to, well, just just
0: explain it, that how that works the old school defined benefit pension plans, and there are not many of them left. I mean, for the most part, it's with the government and a few, you know, Fortune five hundred companies. But, but basically, that company is taking on the risk of you living too long, uh, you know, with the amount of pension that they provide for you. And so, for that risk, you know, they're, well, they're willing to take that risk on the life of that of that one one person. But if they die prematurely, that kind of you know goes over into their column and they don't have to pay that payment for life right. unless they agree to pay a survivorship payment to 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 the surviving spouse so for that essentially they reduce the pension That they're entitled to during retirement to pay for that, so it's essentially buying insurance, basically, is what it is. Uh, But then after they both pass away, there's no stream of income that comes back. So, so essentially, you know, to provide, especially if your your situation is you don't have a lot of assets and that income or that pension is the the main source of uh, the main resource to to help you live your life, you're going to try to protect it. And so that's that's what that is. Got it. Got it. All right. So, uh, so number one.
2: Value is is uh, the quality you have to possess is that you truly want to help people. Um, Let's uh, let's go to I'll call it number two, uh, a a person who has empathy. Uh, Talk about talk about empathy for a few minutes.
0: Yeah, you know, being empathetic uh, is not something that is learned. You know, that has to be. In you, like in your DNA, as I alluded to earlier, Um, to do this business in the right way, I think you have to kind of go on a journey through life with your clients Uh, and you kind of have to put yourself into their shoes. And kind of see things through their eyes, in order to figure out what the best solution uh, or strategy will be for them going forward. Um, Because just because you think something looks good on paper, you know, you're learning in some financial planning textbook, you know, while you're taking your CSP, whatever, doesn't mean that that client is going to be open uh, to such a strategy. And you really have to get inside their their life, their mind, their hearts, and try to feel what they're feeling a little bit, and look at the world through their eyes. so that gives us a good segue into
2: um, what I'll, I'll call the number three quality, which is uh, having patience and being able to be patient. Talk to us uh, for a couple sentences about uh, about the quality of of having patience being on the fee only side of the business.
0: Yeah, I kind of alluded a little bit to that earlier, but basically... Um, you have to to be patient because you don't know how things are going to work out uh, going on this this route, and you never really. I mean, listen, even on the commission side, if you don't sell enough products, clearly, you know that's that's not going to uh, be where you want to be either. But especially on this side of the business, because you have to really uh, get in there and 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 have patience because you're you're advising clients on things that never go away. It's not like you know it's not like i can come in and two meetings and say hey absolutely here's your plan you do these things you're never gonna run out of money uh good luck absolutely not i mean it has to be an ongoing process over time because we never really have this fear of running out of money we never really have this uh you know Uh, thought one day that, you know what, I'm okay paying a lot of taxes. You know, we never have this, this, this fear of, of my kids are going to be able to go to the college that I, that I want them to go through. So it's an ongoing uh, process dealing with things that never, never end. You know, the, the planning changes throughout the life cycle, but it never ends. You know, the biggest parallel I can draw to the financial world is really healthcare. You know, both of them are probably the number one. If you had to do a ranking, number one and two. Not sure which one's what. Uh, I would think financial be behind healthcare, but you know we're always worried about either dying or going bankrupt or, or losing money, mm-hmm. and that fear never really it goes dormant. You know you can make people feel better for a long time, but it never goes away. You know, and so you have to have this this sense of, of patience with people um, and and just know that you're going to be in this for the long haul as opposed to, you know, being in there for one or two meetings, helping the people meet and being done with it.
2: Well, and one of the things that I think um, I remember from a, a previous uh, podcast that we did, I think it was uh, uh, actually I might have been talking to you in a previous podcast was the idea that um Uh, as a, as a, uh, as a fiduciary, you're always with your clients through the various changes and the journey that they go through and that you're advising them on all kinds of stuff, taxes, you know, the, the portfolio changes, allocations. I mean, you're constantly in contact with your clients over the, as you call the life cycle of, uh, is that true that, that that at Cahaba, you have a, uh, and, and I don't know if that's, if if that's more than on the commission, um, oriented side, but it, it seems to me as a fiduciary being concerned, you know, able to do only what's best for the client, you're constantly growing and communicating with them as their life is changing.
0: Oh, there's no doubt about that. The only thing constant in life has changed is what you said a while ago. And you have to be there with them as they change. Uh, you know, I've had one in particular, um, client who I've known for years was my, biggest risk taker. I mean, always wanted to take more risk in his portfolio than even I was comfortable with. And uh, and so I got this email from him one day, uh, and it just so happens to be right after he started taking distributions from his IRA, after all those years of putting money into it, uh, now he's having to take money out of it. I got this email, and we were going through a rough time in the market. And he said, listen, when the S&P gets down to this number, I want to sell everything. Well, I've been working with this guy for 15 years. I said, mm-hmm. I, my first thought was that his email had been hacked, and so yeah. I called him up, and uh, and I said, hey, I said I got this email from what appears to be you, and and this is what they said. I uh, just want to make sure that's what you meant. And he goes, absolutely, That's what I meant. You know, he was getting right. a little bit defensive because he'd never been that way before, and it was kind of difficult for him to even do it. And so I drove to his house literally uh, that next morning, sat down with him face to face, got all my charts out, you know, doing something that I never thought i to do with him. But that taught me at that moment risk tolerance has changed it. And the fact that he was taking money from that IRA, as opposed to putting money into it, completely changed him. And so you have to constantly be aware of those changes, even in personality and thought processes throughout the relationship. So,
2: hmm. okay. So, uh, so that gives us a good segue into, because w- what it seems like what you were doing there was you were kind of telling them the truth, uh, and and kind of moving to another quality, which is authenticity. Uh, tell us a little bit about authenticity as a quality uh, and a mindset.
0: Well, it's like in any relationship. Okay, so eventually, if you're not authentic, the other person's going to know it. OK, you can't fake your way uh, to being something you're not over time. You can in one meeting, two meetings, maybe one transaction or whatever, but you can have a relationship. And so you have to be who you are. So in some ways, you have to know who you are <laughs> to be who you are. So that's a whole nother podcast for that. But yeah, um, yeah. but I give an example like the partners at Cahaba. OK, there's four of us um, and we all have the same, you know, I think, root value system, uh, much of what I'm talking about today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we all interact with our clients, you know, and give advice and present advice totally different. Okay, we give the same advice, right? I mean, there's very few, yeah. very, not much disparity between the solution, the recommendations that we would, we would create, but we deliver those in our own style, okay mm-hmm. uh, so I know like will Jackson for instance, up in our national office he has a a much more direct style, right uh, he cares just as much as I do. there's no question about that we wouldn't be here, right mm-hmm. and we we both care a lot about our clients. but if I tried to give financial advice or do a presentation like will, uh, people would see right through that yeah you know I'm a little bit more softer, a little bit more empathetic in those initial meetings. Uh, That doesn't mean I am more empathetic. It's just the way I present. Uh, So my point there is, and Brian and Chris, and we're all different uh, ways of presenting things to clients, but we all present the same things. we all provide the same service. We just have a different way of doing it. So you have to be authentic. And there's no way you can ever build a long term relationship without being that way. And you can't be successful in this business without building that long term relationship. So
2: Perfect. Really well said. Really well said. Let's uh, let's talk about the skills that a, uh, a, a an advisor has to have on the fee only side. Uh, talk to us about work ethic. Tell us a little bit about what uh, what work ethic has to be like for for that side of the business.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, MJ, I mean, literally anybody that's going to be successful in any business is going to have a strong work ethic. Um, what I mean by this, the only way I can explain it is to give you an example. I think I have um, uh, a lot of engineer uh, my, mindset type clients, right? Very detailed, very analytical. And, and you know, and I'm dealing with a very, you know, non-absolute uh Science. here. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, the, the, the end result of what, you know... I, of the strategies that I recommend will not be known until you die, right? Mm. So there's no way that we're going to know how to be absolute in what we're doing. Well, that's very hard for an engineer uh, mm. to to grasp. So what we do, though, knowing that they're that way, um, this one client in particular, you know, getting leading up to the retirement date, about two years prior, you know, he wanted me two or three times a year, and he literally wanted to do four or five different scenario. Retirement projections. Mm-hmm. Uh, every meeting, and it may be, hey, you know, in this scenario, let's lower the uh, rate of return from six to five percent. Let's increase the inflation rate from two to three. You know, mm-hmm. hey, have me buying a car. It costs fifty-five thousand three hundred and twenty dollars in in year, you know, twenty thirty. You know, and, yeah, yeah. and now I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well this is not going to make a a difference in terms of if he can retire or not. Uh, You know, he's more and more, we could really just almost remove some of the growth rates and he could still retire. But you know what? He had to see that. I knew he had to see it. And so we did it and we did it with a smile. And, and now we're, you know, some of, the analysts behind the scenes all happy about that, not necessarily, uh, but but it, it was something that we needed to do to get him in the right frame of mind so that he could do what we all knew he could do, which was retire, live his life, and 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 really would never run out of money unless there's some really unforeseen situation. So, um, But then after he retired, he never asked us to do it again. So for that year, if you look at the amount of revenue we brought in, we lost money on that guy for that year. Right. But but if you keep it for twenty years, it doesn't matter. Right. 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 Yeah. So so that's so yeah, the work ethic without understanding sometimes, you know, why you why you do it, uh, it it, you still have to do it and, and do it well. And so um while most industries, most careers, you have to have a good work ethic. I think sometimes you know most of the time you know what that work ethic is going to result in. you know I think on our side of the business you don't necessarily know what that means. all you know is just making the client happy it's giving them a better frame of mind to make the decisions that you know that they should make so
2: <laughs> <Got it. laughs> so I, I hear this is a constant theme you know for from Kahaba wealth management from the from the partners and advisors you know, we do a lot of work not knowing whether or not we're going to get paid or not. And uh, <laughs> what did Will Jackson say to me? We it, we may be the worst business people in the world. We keep doing all this stuff for free. And we don't. We, it's like, when do we? I, I was like, and do you get paid now after you've done the plan and you've done that? You've done that? He's like, nope, still don't get paid. <laughs>
0: and I'm like, and okay. Know, and sometimes you don't know when you're going to get paid. But and, and we've lost money on plenty of clients, even though the relationship. But you can trace back certain referrals that they've made. That really helped with our bottom line. Okay. So, and you didn't know they were going to get those referrals. So, that's the hardest thing about this business is that you have to keep your head down, do the work, not knowing what it's going to result in. Just do the right thing, protect your reputation and service, um, you know, the the value of your service at all times. And it will eventually work out. So,
2: got it. Well said. Uh, So, talk to us about uh, critical thinking. Give us a couple sentences on why it's important to be a critical thinker.
0: Well, um, I used to think that the number one thing we talked about today was probably uh the the main thing. Like if I could get somebody in here, I'm talking about from a hiring prop you know, uh Perspective. perspective. If I could get somebody in here uh, that was a truly good person, and they had half of a brain. I felt like I could turn them into a good financial planner. Well, I've been challenged uh, with that over the years. You know, what we deal with is is more complex. I've done it for a long time, so I don't necessarily think about it as being as difficult as it probably is. Um, but you have to be really good from a critical thinking standpoint. We've had a lot of success hiring from CPA programs. Uh, you know, from from even in uh, just accounting programs in general. And you know the problem with the accountants though, the CPA mentality, sometimes they're not great communicators, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something else we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, but if you gotta have the critical thinking, I'll give you an example, like uh, this guy came to me or his family came to me uh, years ago. And it was at the, uh, the, the 2009, the 2010 Great Recession, mm-hmm. and you had the banking crisis, you know, and, uh, and this particular person had a lot of bank stock whole lot of bank stock. And so, you know, I think the net worth went from 25 million down to 8 million basically because of one stock. You know, they were living off the dividends from that stock, right? And Mm -hmm. the company slashed those dividends. And so now he went from 25 to 8 million uh, in total portfolio and had to start using that portfolio to live off of. Mm -hmm. And so it was, uh, now I never feel sorry for people that have $8 million, okay? So that's not what I'm trying to say here. But in that situation, you know, That that was difficult. He was going through dementia. Uh, He never really let his family in on the finances. Uh, And at that point, he didn't really understand what all he had, where he had it. So I had to get in and do a a fat finding mission. I wanted to figure out what they had, okay? Mm -hmm. Then I had to figure out, because the rest of the portfolio also had 30% of it in one shot too. And so what I'm dealing with is having to deplete the assets having still a concentration in one stock, knowing that that could go bad, too. Uh, and they're older, and there's a lot of capital gains built up in the portfolio. So if we go through and start liquidating a whole lot of stuff, it's going to create a mass amount of taxes. And if he were to pass away at any time, those taxes go away by what we call step-up basis to the family. So if I go in, sell, sell all this stock, pay the taxes, he passes away tomorrow, I just costs the family a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. right? And so what do you do, <laughs> you know, cause you also got to protect what they have, but we also want to grow what they have too and try to keep the government out of it as much as possible. And so without getting too complex, you know, I went in and we wrote some covered calls, generate some premiums to offset some of the taxes, uh, Began a strategy of liquidating when we could, uh, got the portfolio much more conservative, uh, and just, you know, tried to straddle the fence a little bit and, and not knowing in this business, if we know when everyone's going to pass away, how good would we be? But that's that's the biggest challenge in this business, not knowing when someone's going to pass away and has to pretend they live a long time, and uh, so that was a uh, an example of a really complex situation. Uh, I ended up working through it. They ended up coming out, I think, way better uh, in 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 terms of asset appreciation and net worth than had they not met me. And I'm still working with the family uh, and their cousins and everybody's today. And so that was a long time ago. So that was a, but had I not had the patience, had I not been empathetic, had I not had the critical thinking skills, I never could have helped that client. And now I've got a client for life and many more because of it. So,
2: yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that's a powerful example. So, um, uh, continuing along as we go to kind of start to land this plane a little bit. Um, Tell us about being, uh, just give us a couple sentences on why it's important to be an unselfish team player.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the origins of this business really was that life insurance agent and stockbroker who was all about generating revenue and commissions for themselves. You know, they'd have an assistant, they would have somebody that helps them, but for the most part, they kept every client that came through the door and they and they wrapped their hands around that clientele, yeah. uh, more of an entrepreneur mindset. Well, the problem with that is when that's your focus, it's not always the best thing for the client. And so I think when I start the business, you have to be a little more firm oriented. All right. i mean we all, like i said we all want to make money over time we all want to make a good living uh, but if you're focused on the client first you're not going to be all about yourself and so for instance if i get a referral uh and they're from atlanta well we have an atlanta office just guessing that geography might suit that client better you know i won't make as much money if i refer that client to somebody else because we still are somewhat paid based on the revenue that you generate um, but it's best for the client And so I do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have to be a team player. You can't be all about yourself, your own revenue, your own business. You have to look at at the big picture and want to drive the firm, because in some way by doing that, you probably will be better off yourself later on down the road, too. So.
2: Got it. Got it. Very good. So talk to us about um, pursuing excellence uh, over uh, looking at making money. (laughs) <laughs> uh and, I mean look, I'm a big fan of making money. Let, let let it let don't let anybody don't let anybody listening to the the There Is a Better Way podcast think that Henry Widman and I, uh and all the partners at Cahaba Wealth don't think you should make a lot of money. We are we are fans of money. Yay, money! <laughs> Everybody that is in favor of making more money, what do you you call it? Cash flow projections, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you we want to see your cash flow projections as high as possible. But uh, let's talk about the pursuit of excellence as it relates to growth and revenue.
0: Well, we've touched a little bit on this already, yeah. but it, it's really about looking at, you know, the, the process as opposed to just focus on the results all the time. Right. You know, and and I think in this industry as a whole, you're you're somewhat judged and your success is judged by how much assets you have under management. AUM. Yep. You know, if you got if you got 500 million you're doing well, if you got a billion you're doing great. You know, if you've got 5 billion, you've hit another level okay yeah. and and unfortunately that's how you're, you're kind of judged in this industry but um but we as a partner group not too long ago uh, we read a book called small giants um and we have our own internal book club and what the book alludes to is the pursuit of excellence over the growth and not just in our industry. And it goes through examples of how how always focus on accumulating more assets and how growing revenue, um, you know, and trying to manage that bottom line all the time. uh, You can lose a little bit of what you got that got you there to begin with. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I built my business because I kept my head down and I helped people along the way, not knowing where the next client was coming from. But by doing that, the clients always came through the referral system, okay? And why would we not, from a firm perspective, you know, adopt that same philosophy? You know, because when you start gobbling up uh, other firms, bringing on advisors just focused on, you know, more assets under management, more, more revenue, you're gonna lose who you are. You're gonna lose yourself, you're gonna lose your culture, you're gonna lose what's gotten you there to begin with. OK, so through this book and this book club, we've actually adopted uh, the philosophy that we're going to be in pursuit of excellence. We're going to do everything we can do to, to be the best service provider, get the best advice, be the best relationship manager that we can possibly be. And just under suspicion that that may also lead to growth later. And so that that's what I think to be successful in this business long term, you've got to adopt some of that mentality. And we've already proved that. You know, with our success up to this point. So why would we change? Right. And so that's 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 what I mean by the pursuit of excellence over growth and revenue.
2: I like it. I like it. It's it's important to be the best that you can be. I love it. Perfect. Um, so, uh, let's just go over, uh, three quick things as we go to end the podcast. Uh, we've, we've got given our listeners some great information. We've gone up maybe a little longer than we normally do, but this is just so good, Henry. I just want to keep going. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, so talk to us about being great in in the relationship with the client. Um, talk about, uh, give us like, uh, you know, give us like three or four sentences on being a good listener.
0: You know, I think people in this industry and after spending time with you, I mean, clearly it's a part of your industry, too, uh, you know, love to talk. You know, that's we, we like to communicate and that our definition of communication sometimes can be just just talking, you know, just and sometimes we talk to hear ourselves talk, to be honest with you. You know, I remember uh, I'm known for my long meetings. It's a big thing with the partner group. I'm routinely, uh, you know, heckling that a little bit because I've run long of my meetings and. My wife will say it's because I love to hear myself talk. And, and I said, no, 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 a couple years ago, I said, surely the people that I'm in there want to be in there or they would just get up, right? And uh, my wife said, no, I don't think so, Henry. I think they're just trying to be nice to you. But uh, so over the years, what I've tried to be better at is a, a good listener. And you can't listen if you're not talking. People will come to you uh, for different reasons. And if you don't understand what that reason is, I mean, it be affirmation of what they're doing, uh, am I doing everything right? I have some longstanding issue out there that I'm trying to address, I've got too many options. They got Roth, you know, traditional IRAs, they got health savings accounts, they got too many things to sift through. Um, But if you don't address what their primary concern is upfront, you know, they're not gonna listen to anything else you say, okay? So you have to be a really good listener and you can't do that until you quit talking uh, in order to be the listener. And that's the same thing in any relationship. It's not just this, it's with your wife, it's with your parents, it's with your kids. You know, if you're always talking and not listening, you're not, you're not being a, a, a good relation. You're not in a good relationship. So. Got it. Got it. So on the flip side of listening, talk to us a
2: little bit, give us a couple sentences on communicating.
0: Well, communication once again is not just about talking. Uh, it's not about just going into these meetings and just talking intelligently. I mean, MJ, they wouldn't be there with you if they didn't already know that you're supposed to know more than them. So you don't have to continue to impress them with your knowledge of things that intimidates them. All it does is make them clam up and not want to really listen because they're intimidating. And so you have to be able to, you know, communicate in a way, you know, very complex. You know things in a way that they can understand while still motivating them to do the things they need to do. Um, a guy came to me a couple of years ago, and I'll be quick here, uh, and and was a little bit upset because I had not mentioned this strategy of taking his company stock from his 401k plan today, holding it for one year and receiving capital gains tax treatment, a lower capital gains tax treatment as opposed to ordinary income had he left it in there. Um, and And I asked the guy, I said, well, how did you hear about this? And he said, well, this this Merrill, I'm not throwing Merrill Lynch under the bus. That's just who it was as a Merrill Lynch broker. Um, And and termed it net unrealized appreciation. And I said, well, I said, the reason I did not bring that up to you and I thought about it was because you'd have to pay taxes on the four hundred thousand dollars of cost basis as ordinary income today in order to get the stock out of the plan to qualify for the lower capital gains treatment. I said, are you willing to do that? He goes, oh, absolutely not. (laughs) I said, so that's why I didn't bring it up to you. I know you. That guy doesn't know you. I've spent the time to listen to you and understand how you, how you, you know, what you do like to do, what you don't like to do, what scares you, and you do not like to pay taxes. And so much less tax them $400,000 today. He said, Hey, good point. I said, Well, I said, so the point there is we, we, we have a lot of ideas in our mind, but it's not our job to sit there and communicate every one of those ideas. If it doesn't apply to them, well, they won't do it. Your job is to tell them what they need to do and that also entails what you think they will be willing to do
2: got it got it well a a uh, a confused client is a, uh, it's, it's not a good client. <laughs> and if you bring up net unrealized appreciation, explain the whole thing to them and then say, but I don't recommend that you do that. I just thought you would want to know about net unrealized appreciation because it might be the subject of a lunch and learn someday, uh, at your company. And that might confuse you. Uh, your job is, is not to confuse people, uh, and to, uh, add stuff that they don't need to know. So, um, As we actually do go to land this plane, uh, talk to us about uh, uh, being a leader and a motivator.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, people are coming to you, MJ, for solutions. They're coming to you for an answer. Uh, Just as you're your kid may come to you uh, with a problem of a bully at school. You know, your job is to sit there and listen to them, be empathetic, and somehow lead them or motivate them to do the things to avoid that situation again. And that, that's what I'm talking about. You know, these are life lessons, and you have to be a natural, I think, leader uh, and and motivator because uh, these are not, you know, these are not fun topics. You know, especially when you're talking about death, you're talking about running out of money, you're talking about sending your kids to school, and it's overwhelming. So you have to figure out ways within their own mindset, who they are, after you've listened to them, okay, you got to listen first to figure out who they are and, and figure out how to motivate them into doing what it is that they should be doing and and that's a separate skill set uh that i think can be learned over time and uh but that's definitely something i see prevalent in in the fee-only successful comprehensive planners uh in 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 the middle of all the other things that we've talked about uh, that's just as important so
2: well really super powerful so uh well henry uh henry weidman um uh, partner, uh, advisor at uh, Cahaba Wealth Management, vice president. We sure do appreciate you being here today. Uh Thank you so much uh, for your time. I think one of the great quotes, there's a lot of great quotes that you had today. Uh, know who you are to be who you are. Uh, that was one of my favorites. I wrote that one down. And uh, that one's that one's going to go on my uh, on my bulletin board here. So, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you uh, going through the qualities and the mindset of a successful uh, planner and an advisor on the fee-only side of the business. Really appreciate you being here. Thank
0: you. Thank you, MJ. Sorry we went a little long, uh, but but hopefully our listeners uh, gained something from it. And I appreciate your time today.
2: Well, appreciate you and uh, our listeners um, uh, always recommend you can always listen 10 minutes at a time. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Does it doesn't have to be one and done, you know? Listen, listen while you drive to the grocery store, and listen while you drive back home. So, uh, and to all of our listeners, let me uh, say that um, uh, many of you are listening because you've been referred to the podcast by uh, actual clients uh, of Cahaba Wealth Management. So we appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, we also appreciate if you can uh, go on your your uh, your podcast service, uh, give us a, a five star rating if you're able to. Uh, And if you're able to write a review, uh, I've noticed a lot of reviews coming in lately on the There Is A Better Way podcast. Uh, That's really helpful to us. If you're enjoying it, please let us know with a review. Um, And don't be afraid to uh, find those three little buttons uh, on your podcast service to hit those three little buttons and find the share button. And uh, feel free to send it out to uh you know 5 10 15 20 of your friends and say hey this is a very interesting podcast it is educational in nature and you'll learn a lot about how to uh create wealth build wealth uh and hold on to your wealth uh for the future so uh this is uh we really appreciate you doing that uh thanks everybody for being here and we will see you on the next episode of the there is a better way podcast
1: That concludes this episode of There Is a Better Way. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check back regularly for new episodes and get connected to the wisdom you'll need to make confident decisions about your family's financial future and well-being. We'll see you on the next episode.